We live on a placid island of ignorance, in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far without a coordinated strike. This one goes out to all my homies that like to string a whole bunch of consonants together with very few vowels. That's right, it's the Cthulhu episode, also known as the Gibbering Hordes episode. We are doing a faction breakdown. Gibbering Hordes gets to be the first one. Why? Because I said so. And in honor of this, uh, this coordinated strike is brought to you as always by... Uh, my undying looks at the mailbox for my giant set of toys. So hopefully that comes soon. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Joe. Welcome to the Coordinated Strike. If you haven't figured it out by now, this is the Coordinated Strike, where we are going to do a massive faction deep dive for the Jibbering Hordes. Don't worry, other factions. Yours are coming. I know you're called allegiances, but your faction today. So the best allegiance, the one that is aquatic... The one that got stripped of their homeland, thrown into the sea in Malifaux, and then jumped out of the, dumped out of the sky in an unfortunate twist of fate, or maybe happy twist of fate, depending upon you see it, uh, dumped onto London, uh, started eating the townsfolk, and now they're here, they're angry, they're here to stay. They are your friends and mine, the gibbering hordes. All right, so... It is that coordinated strike where we start the faction breakdowns. So what are we going to do in a faction breakdown? In a faction breakdown, we're going to do three things. We're going to discuss what is in the faction. We're going to talk about what comes in the starter box, also known as the allegiance box. And we're going to talk about how to build out your force from the starter box. So this is going to be beginner-focused uh, from that level, we're going to talk about where you go from your first steps with the box, talk about how to play that box, and then talk about the expansion of it through what would be the normal course of probably an expansion league. So I look forward to talking with you on these points, look forward to going over the units, what they do, and all of that in this upcoming Coordinated Strike. Okay, so I want to start at the same place that you're going to as a member of the elite, as a member of the Gibbering Horde. So with this, the first place you're going to typically start is you're going to buy the Allegiance box for the Gibbering Horde. And that box is going to consist of four, four units. Now those four units are the Storm Siren Commander, two, count them, two uh, striped Skulker units, and one unit of Karkinu. So what comes in this box? Uh, you get the excellent and extremely powerful uh, commander for the Gibbering Horde, the Storm Siren. Her whole deal is she is going to lure enemy models into your ranks and onto your tide pools, which on her glory side, she turns into hazardous terrain pieces. 
and because you are moving enemy units onto these now hazardous tide pools, they are moving into hazardous terrain and are going to be forced to take hazardous terrain checks. So this is a way this box set is going to do a significant amount of its damage, is through its commander manipulating the opponent's force to move onto and through tide pools. She additionally is going to be, have the ability to create more of these tide pools, thus limiting enemy movement. Now, your forces are unaffected by this now hazardous tide pool. In fact, you're going to use them as cover and to enhance the abilities of your units. The striped skulkers get better if they are in terrain, and tide pools count as terrain. So you get additional benefit of them acting as cover for units that are in them or touching them, as well as upping the base ability of the striped skulkers because they flip additional cards when they are touching terrain in duels in which they are involved. So this means both offensive and defensive duels that you will be able to take advantage of this additional card flips for. And if those that have studied the rules understand that additional flip in this game, flipping an additional card, allows you to choose either card, thus negating any ill effects the Black Joker would have, and thus upping your lethality and upping your defensive capability as you go through your deck. So the Stripe Skulkers are really a fine unit for that. Now the Carquino are a very interesting unit, and there's something that should be taken a look at, and you need to kind of take a bit of a different tact with them. They are a fairly good closing unit. What I mean by that is they close the game out. They have the ability to finish off the opponent fairly well, but they need a few turns of setup. Uh, they do remarkably better with reinforcement tokens, and they have the unique ability to create egg clutches. And egg clutches are a unit that you really need to understand in order to play Gibbering Hordes well. Uh, the egg clutch is sort of a unique unit in that it is a single base fire team that is also a squad. And the reason it has the squad special rule is that it can be brought back with the allegiance special rule endless number. And we'll get back, we'll get back into that momentarily. But essentially it allows you to recur that unit. Now, the way that Gibbering Hordes units go to glory is they need to eat a friendly fire team within three inches, and that fire team can be part of their squad. But egg clutches are especially good at fulfilling this role, because when an egg clutch is consumed, you get to flip a few cards from the top of your deck, and if one of them happens to be a ram, you get a reinforcement token. And so, mechanically, the game is really encouraging you to use these eggs to be what procs you to glory because of the additional benefit of doing some deck tweaking and the potential to gain some reinforcement tokens. And the Kikinu have an ability on their front of their card that allows them to summon these units. And with these summoning with these summoned units coming in and then being consumed to have the other units in the in the force go to glory, that really provides the player with a strong starting point 
for the game. And so I think the Karkinu are really vital to kind of understanding how this box set wants to play. So let's go ahead, take a little bit of a look at what the Carquino have for us and just exactly what I'm going on about as we're talking about this being one of the key units within the box. So the Carquino are a 100 millimeter fire team base. They are three 40 millimeter models on each of those bases, and they are a squad of three. So there are three fire teams of three Karkinu and 100 millimeters each. They are a speed seven unit base. They are defense five, they will power four, and they are seven armor. The special action I'm referring to is the spawning. That is a five versus 14, so they need a nine in order to get that off. You summon an egg clutch in base contact with this fire team. That can be taken by every single one of the Karkinu uh, fire teams that you have in a unit uh, when they are given an order that allows them to take a morale action. So you could potentially summon on the first turn three egg clutches. So this is something to keep in mind with the starter. Um, they have the hunger special rule, and what that allows them to do is fire teams in this unit gain plus one AB. To their actions for each reinforcement token on this unit to a maximum of plus three. So while it's a base five, if they have a reinforcement token on them, that goes up to six. They have a second reinforcement token, those stats go up to seven. If they have three reinforcement tokens on them, they go up to strength, or they go up to acting value eight. So let's take a look at the Egg Clutch itself. Egg Clutch have no speed. They are defense 2, willpower 10, and they have 4 armor. They have the Just Some Egg special rule. This unit may deploy or summon from Endless Numbers ability anywhere on the table. So again, this is where the interaction of Endless Numbers, their fact that they are a squad, and Just Some Eggs comes into play because you can summon them, eat them, and then on the next turn, discard a tactics token with endless numbers ability and place them anywhere on the table so that another unit can then eat them and enjoy the benefit of going to glory without weakening your force because this is a unit that you brought in specifically to be eaten. So they have the egg clutch is the nom 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 special rule. If this fire team is killed by the survival of the fittest ability, which is what gets units to eat a fire team and go to glory. You discard the top two cards of your fate deck, and if either of them is a ram, the friendly fire team gains a reinforcement token. Then they also have the ability to hatch. Uh, this tactical action, uh, four versus seven, and this unit flips, and then its activation ends and flips to glory. On the glory side, um, it says that it's hatched and hungry. This unit may not flip. Uh, it still has the nom nom nom. Special rule, same as before. Again, if this fire team is killed by the survival of fittest ability, discard the top two cards of your fate deck. If either of them is a ram, the friendly fire team gains a reinforcement token. They have tiny claws. It is a active value four versus defense. Dual uh, melee range two. And they are strength one. They also have high pitched. High pitched is very interesting. High pitched is a five versus ten. So it is a, a, ba a base duel. This is a simple duel, and it has 18-inch rage. You target a friendly fire team that moves 6 towards 
this fire team. If this fire team is now within engagement range of any fire teams in the target's unit, this fire team is devoured, i.e. killed. So you can use it to move your forces around the battlefield and potentially deny um, your opponent killing it from something like the, the King's Empire from being able to go to glory for killing a unit. Uh, this unit can instead pull, some, pull one of its own units over to it, like maybe a Titan, uh, and then that Titan's going to devour it. So that's quite, uh, quite thematic, quite interesting. Uh, and that's just some of the play that comes with it. And then to go over the Striped Skulkers in a bit more depth, they have Adaptive Camouflage when a fire team from this unit is in base contact with terrain. It flips two cards for opposed duels and chooses one, discarding the other. And then uh, these things are everywhere. This unit may use endless numbers to summon anywhere on the table that is not in the opponent's deployment zone. And it may not use endless number to move after doing so. Then there is sharp teeth, which is their attack. Uh, it is a strength. It is a active value five versus defense. Two inch melee range, strength three, and it has the venomous trigger on a crow. This action immediately gains piercing. So one of the things that the striped skulkers gain when they glory is when taking an action that targets a fire team in base contact with terrain, the target may not cheat fate during the duel. So if they can get them in terrain, they can really dictate the, the flow and feel of the game as a whole. So it's something to keep in mind with this particular unit, particularly as it retains to its starting, uh, as it retains to being part of your starter. So we've kind of discussed the, the contents of the box and a little bit of how the pieces within it are going to fight and interact with each other. Uh, again, those uh, units being the Storm Siren, two units of Stripe Skulkers, and the Karkinu, or Karkinoi. Uh, those units, ostensibly, are really playing a game where they want to have Storm Siren be a heavy damage dealer and present a control, a control option on the board because of her ability to maneuver uh, enemy fire teams into, again, the tide pools. So one of the priorities in your turn, in your game, at the starter box level, or anytime you really bring her, is to try and get her to glory as rapidly as possible. Now, we've talked about um, how the Karkanoi fit into that, in that they can produce uh, for free the Egg Clutch unit. And the Egg Clutch unit is, is something that makes the, the Karkanoi in the box sort of uh, really strong. Uh, again, because they can summon that unit in, you can then use that unit to be eaten, gain, potentially gain reinforcement tokens, at minimum cycle some cards out of your deck, and uh, ultimately glory for no loss of hitting power. The Striped Skalkers then are going to be your, kind of your aggressive maneuver element. They're going to be the ones going forward. The Karkanoi are going to be your second wave. They're going to hang back. They're going to be ablative wounds uh, in the early game for Storm Siren if somebody gets some, gu some guns on her. Additionally, uh, you want to make sure that she has her Tidal Scepter upgrade. Um, it is a cost too, but it does do some incredibly powerful things. First and foremost, it lets her reduce damage uh, by, give, by uh, instead of taking away models uh, for the champion role, lets her spend tactics tokens to 
uh, negate the damage. Very powerful ability. Uh, additionally, it lets you, uh, when you bring something back in, if you spend an additional tactics token through endless number, you can have it spawn instead of on the back edge of your of your uh, deployment zone. You can have, or in your deployment zone, you can have it spawn uh, in one of your tide pools. Uh, and again, if you're respawning a, a striped skulker unit, that's a pretty strong place for it to go. Would be right into a tide pool where it's automatically gaining its benefits um, for existing within terrain where it's getting those plus flips uh, on opposed duels. So that is something to definitely keep in mind uh, with the way that this this is going to fight. Essentially, you want to set up set your tide pool. Tide pool placement is absolutely critical. Uh, what you want to do is make sure that the tide pools are going to be in such a place that the that your opponent is going to be going. Um, you'll want them near uh, objectives. You want them you blocking where the enemy can go. If there's a, a direct shot to you, something that would be a, an advantageous firing position, that's a great place uh, potentially for one of those tide pools to go down because now, uh, as long as Storm Siren's alive and she's gloried, that um, you know great firing position is going to be burning them alive because they're in uh, you know a ferocious tide pool with uh, with Hazardous Three that is just kind of beating on them because Hazardous Three is a beatdown. Um, stat. It's it's strength three. It's you got to think of it as like a strength three area gun that's just always on, uh, and that's something that you have to have to account for. And there's going to be three of them on the table at the start of the game, and she can make more of them. So that's that's kind of your strength within the box set, and then your units are really there to help mop up, um, make those tide pools even more dangerous by advancing into them, uh, taking advantage of your camouflage rule, again with the uh, with the striped skulkers, getting them to glory, uh, having them then utilize the ambush rule, making the opponent's hand uh, not worthwhile because they can't cheat uh, in in opposed duels against them. Uh, it's it's really really a very strong box set. But it is one that takes a bit of finesse to get, and you may have some early struggles as you kind of figure out how this force works and, and how to utilize it, because your opponents are all going to have some form of ranged element. Your ranged element is really the Storm Siren, and the Storm Siren has very long range on that lure, or on that Storm Call, and it is going to be about learning the angles, uh, learning how that interaction works with your particular company and utilizing the symphony of the box set where you're going to use storm call to bring something in into preferably tide pools then you're going to follow it up with an attack from stripe skulkers and that should eliminate the unit uh, all the while the kakinu are going to be moving advancing steadily going to do objectives. Storm Siren will also be doing objectives. Um, you can make uh, some more egg clutches if you need um, to, one, keep things in glory, or to then hatch and become objective runners, uh, which is really kind of a neat thing that they can do for something that you're producing for free 
out of the out of the box set um, design. So it's definitely definitely some some big synergy and some big single commander game utilization out of these three units for Jibbering Hordes. And I will say that this box set does a great job of teaching you about the playstyle of Jibbering Horde, which is a lot of synergistic setup and and melee uh, melee utilization. There's a lot of tricks in this particular faction. Uh, you know, all of a sudden these these tide pools, which you were using to give cover, are now hazardous to the opponent. They're they're you're still fine in them, but the opponent now has has hazardous three to contend with, and so it helps block off movement. It helps all of that. Those stay those same um, egg clutches that your Carquino are creating. There's a stratagem called Spawning Moon that allows you to spend some tactics tokens, and all of a sudden that egg clutch sacrifices itself and is born into a whole other unit. Uh, so you could, you know, spawn yourself a, a unit of armored whelks for four tactics tokens and one more for, you know, the spawning rune upgrade. Not a bad deal. Uh, and these are all just things within within the box set. Uh, you get the, the concept of the onslaught where you get a, a free charge action that isn't considered your action for the turn or your order for the turn. Uh, that can be absolutely devastating with a unit of, of Karkanoi uh, that are coming up and just wrecking face after they've been fully loaded with reinforcement tokens and have gone to glory. It is, it is uh, systematically uh, such a great teacher of the skills you will need to be good in, in, in the game in general and in the game with Gibbering Hordes. That's uh, something I think that the Weird has done very well within the Other Side Allegiance boxes is they really are great teaching tools to learn your faction, learn, learn the core tricks, uh, all of them have, uh, for the most part, the strongest commander for their faction uh, within them. Uh, additionally, they have core infantry units that you're going to use fairly regularly and have very good defined roles uh, that are going to be pretty well needed to, to succeed in the game as a whole. And all of that, your box set, gives you exactly what you need to play a single commander game. Um, again, at a tournament level, uh, you could be quite e you could quite easily again pick up an allegiance box if there's a, a single commander tournament going on that day, put everything on the base and be ready to go in 15 20 minutes as soon as you get the uh, the stuff on the base. Pretty pretty easy to pretty easy to do, and not something a lot of games can boast that you can be playing the, the exact same day uh, that you purchase it. Uh, within a very reasonable amount of time. I mean, from, from register to heating things on base, if you've got blue tack or glue, isn't going to be that long of a time. Because, uh, again, your starter for Jibbering Hordes is going to be putting the Storm Siren on the base, putting nine uh, Karkanoi on a base, and putting 18 Striped Skulkers on a base, and that's your day. That is uh, 18 plus 8, third. 26 plus, you know, 27 models, and, and you're good to go. Uh, 
So not a not a bad day at all uh, in those terms. So one of the other things that we want to want to kind of consider with the game as a whole uh, from the from the starting off perspective is you want to make sure that you have your commander secure. Um, commander placement in the game in general is very important. It is even more critical because of the nature of what the Storm Siren is within the box set for Gibbering Horde. I mean, she represents a tremendous amount of power uh, on the field, uh, a tremendous amount uh, of your of your game plan is going to be that she's going to do things. And when she does those things, the opponent is going to start dying. And then your crew, uh, the rest of your company, is going to do cleanup work and kind of run interference. But she's going to be the star of the show. Uh, again, it kind of goes to that horde mentality. She's the queen bee. The little worker bees are going to do a lot of the work, but she's really pulling of the strings and moving everything along. So when you begin, uh, the first thing I would look at is look at her card, put her on a table, just get her on a 4x4, because uh, again we're going to be starting off like you're playing a one commander game because that's what the Allegiance box allows you to do right out of the gate. Just kind of set her up, um, go through the different deployments, and see what her siren's call can reach from different positions. So take a tape measure, do that. It's a good exercise to do, uh, really to get uh, a good concept and good grasp of kind of what her threat is, depending on where you place her on the board. Uh, and I find it helpful to do, the, do this type of thing as kind of a mental exercise. That way, when you get into a game situation, you have a good understanding of where your placements need to be um, with your tide pools as well as with her so that you can start using her effects as rapidly as possible because the longer you leave um, the opponent upright, that's more time that they have to potentially shoot at you and do other things. In specific matchups, do not be afraid, or don't be afraid, to use those tide markers to for defensive efforts, um, particularly in the cult of the burn against cult of the Burning Man. Burning Man is going to be very, very quick. Um, they're going to rely on their portal placement, and that's going to give them some additional mobility. You can help deny that by how you're placing your tide pools. And making some of those portals exceedingly costly to use. Because, yeah, sure, you can move into it, but as soon as you activate, you're going to start taking hazardous terrain tests there. Or you're going to have to portal out. And, you know, that's that's kind of your game. Your game is to be uh, one of the control control agencies. That's, that's kind of what uh, Jibbering Quartz does exceedingly well. Is you are going to board control through tide pools and Storm Siren's interaction, you are going to have a ton of synergy within your force, and you're going to use that synergy to overwhelm your opponent at the point of attack. Uh, you know, and then just keep 
keep coming back. That's that's one of the things you can do. If they start wiping you out, your mechanics say you can start coming right back without issue. You know, and you're gonna you're gonna have to do a, a little bit of a rebuild um, once those unit comes back. But those those units are coming back, and frankly, your opponents just aren't going to. And so that's where you can start seeing the power of the Gibbering Hordes faction in just the one commander box in terms of the allegiance. You know, your one commander allegiance box really can do some powerful things. Now, the, the key to all of this, and the one thing you have to understand, is that you are flipping the hazardous terrain damage. And because you are doing a flip, you can use a tactics token on it. Additionally, you can cheat. As it's a set, it is a penetration flip for hazardous terrain. So it's a strength three attack that you have the ability to cheat and use tactics tokens on. So with that, you can really do some extreme damage if your tactics tokens help you out or if your hand is loaded. Uh, if your hand is loaded and your opponent gets pulled in, you can wipe units, and it's it's not uncommon. Uh, and it is is designed that way. That is that is intentional. That she's going to be able to really do a number on some of these on her opponents by pulling them into those tide pools that she's made hazardous. So again, she's kind of the key to what you're doing. And your opponent is going to figure that out fairly quickly and do everything they can to kind of get her off the board. So her security is really your first priority uh, within the game. Well, tell her that I miss our little talks. Soon it will be over and buried with our past. Welcome back. All right, so in this section, we're going to go ahead and discuss branching out from your allegiance box. So we're going to take this in a natural progression. We're going to go from you buying your allegiance box to what are your next purchases. And we're going to go ahead and do this in what is the next 100 bucks that you spend on the game. So the first thing uh, that I'm going to recommend to you is picking up uh, some different things to go in your force to complement what you already have and kind of play around with uh, the single commander experience. So that would be the first things I'm going to tell you to, to pick up. Uh, probably be an egg clutch or two. Uh, that way you have the actual physical models um, for that so you can use them uh, to run objectives and, and such for you as they hatch. Uh, one of the other things, one of the other things that I, I definitely recommend as a pickup is a unit of Yarazaki. They're the flying bugs. They are an incredibly strong, highly mobile unit. They're a good choice uh, to bring on the battlefield from the uh, the spawning moon summon ability. They're a pretty reasonable pickup uh, in terms of their their dollar cost, and they're just good to have as an option. Um, for yourself. I'd recommend a, a unit of those and probably two, um, again, egg clutches as the next add-ons that I do. It's going to be about 60 bucks. Then I would go ahead and take a look at picking up the Frenzy. Uh, the Frenzy are 
the next commander um, for you. They're going to be um, the first thing you'd make a, a two-commander list with. And so I think it's good to, to get a feel for how the Frenzy play. And so they would be what I'd recommend picking up. And so basically the, the three things that I'd recommend you picking up is an Egg Clutcher 2, um, a unit of Urizaki, and the Frenzy. And this would be kind of where I would, I would start um, somebody down the path of filling out their force. Then if you wanted to go a little further... Now you can start talking about things like uh, Armored Welks. Um, you can start talking about maybe an Alpha Crawler or two. Uh, I am a huge fan of the Titan for the faction in general, but I would wait to get him until you have a few more pieces and you're really ready to start going into that two-commander level of game. Um, again, you, can't, you could, can't go too wrong with maybe another unit of Yurizaki. Uh, if you want to go for a more infantry-centric force. Um, and then finally, you can kind of round that out with maybe some barb crawlers or speckled crawlers, whichever of the crawlers really you feel um, that you want. Uh, I am not a huge fan of their adjunct. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the morphling. Um, some people are. Uh, for me, I've, I've never really seen a ton of value in it, and so I don't recommend it as an early pickup um, for you. The Devouring Eel, however, I am a huge fan of. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Devouring Eel. If you wanted to pick up a, a Devouring Eel as part of your first um, expansion outward, I, I wouldn't feel badly about you doing that at all. Uh, I think that is a great unit to, to pick up um, and kind of play around with uh, next, to, next to and around the, the box set. Um, so really what we're talking about from an, from an expansion standpoint is you want to start getting some some different infantry that you can plug in, um, a different commander that you can plug in your one commander games. And then as you do that, you're going to find, hey, I've, I've got enough for a two commander game. And then once you get to that two commander level, then I would really start um, you know, saving up for an alpha crawler or two, um, maybe looking at the third commander option, which is Harmatanji. Uh, at that point, uh, picking up some of uh, the other pieces in terms of the, the more niche uh, infantry uh, at that point as you kind of expand out. But you could really you could really kit out uh, as easily as you want. Um, in all honesty, if you wanted to, another fine way to do it is to pick up an additional starter, pick up an additional allegiance box, and then pick up the Frenzy. And if you do that, you are good to go right out of the box, basically, with uh, a full two commander force. Uh, maybe you want to throw in uh, a devouring eel at that point. It's probably 150 bucks gets you to two commander uh, full game really quick uh, without too much hassle, and and you'll have already known those units uh, fairly fairly well from just from just playing the game. Um, so that's that's some routes uh, for expansion. Uh, some other things you can look at. Uh, would be going two titans early. You could you could put two titans um, together, get your frenzy, and probably one other infantry unit, and you know you're you're good to go. Probably is probably you know your Zaki, and you could you could play that force really simply. 
uh, really easily. Um, again, once you have once you have those egg clutches for the larger game. Uh, let's see. In terms of the units in general, uh, the Titans in this particular faction are really designed to be hunter killers. Uh, they love going after big game. They love going after big, uh, aggressive targets uh, like other Titans. Um, they are exceedingly good at killing other Titans. Uh, they are also fairly good at killing infantry. They are they are all around a, a pretty good, strong killing unit. Um, some of the things that make this possible are the additional volume of attacks they can get uh, from their upgrades, the fact that their AV and speed is increased with over-eager uh, on a rush order. They can be fairly difficult to take down uh, with reinforcement tokens on them because of the way that their uh, damage rules interact. Because if they have reinforcement tokens, they can spend them to reduce damage, essentially eating the uh, eating the crawlers that are on them, as opposed to to breaking assets. So it's definitely something to, to keep in mind while you're building these forces out. So the main thing to look at is, especially as you're you're approaching that two commander level is figuring out which of the two commanders that are currently available you want to utilize in that game. Are you going to be a Horomitanji player, or are you going to be a Frenzy player? And which do you want to pair first with uh, Storm Siren? Now, both are exceedingly viable options. Uh, you can look at uh, Horomitanji. He is going to benefit most from having a from having a crew uh, that can help protect him and probably having some additional large threats in the force. So if you want to go with a very Titan-heavy, very Kaiju-heavy um, theme, he's not a bad one to go with if you're going to start early uh, picking up your Alpha Crawler uh, or picking up two, or you really want to pick up two Alpha Crawlers. Um, he really helps make that particular list sink uh, because he can dump the two reinforcement tokens on each of the on each of the alpha crawlers uh, very early in the game. This makes them um, exceedingly strong uh, going going off the gate. Um, they help protect him by taking out uh, threats that would be able to hurt him uh, prior to. You know, prior to him being able to engage them, uh, helps weakens and help weaken enemy titans, those type of things. Um, so he really plays well into that kind of pairing. If you want to play a little more infantry centric, uh, this is where the frenzy I think really start to show their bite. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, the frenzy are a unit of three, uh, basically shark men. And they have a high volume of attacks. Uh, they have the squad rule. They have squad rules themselves, so they're pretty tricksy again um, with some of the ways that they can mitigate their damage because they're all champions. Uh, you know, they can cover a fairly large area because they have an eight-inch um, need to be together. Uh, if they are together and they have their uh, their necklace, they're immune to area. Uh, and they get to flip additional cards if they're within three of each other on these attacks. 
So they can really do a significant amount of damage. They're very hard to take all the way down. And you can reverse most of the damage done to them with just getting them a reinforcement token. And there's a lot of different ways to do that in this particular company. So if you like to play a, a little more infantry section uh, centric, maybe you only wanted to get one Titan, the Frenzy are a great option for the first commander to build out and then build out around for your secondary force uh, and, and making up that, that two-commander game a little more rapidly. Plus, they're going to be a little bit cheaper than, than Hormatanji is going to be. So that's also something to keep in mind uh, if, you have, if you're a little bunch of conscious. But again, not too difficult to get to uh, a 50 script, or in the case of Hormatanji, 40, 47 script, because he's a 22 script uh, monster. So definitely some economical ways that you can build out uh, and enhance your force pretty easily from the get-go as we get into the, the two commander level range. So let's take a little bit of a break. We'll have a, a little more music, and uh, then we're going to go ahead and get down and dirty with uh, kind of the roles of the rest of the units in the faction that we haven't really touched on uh, so far. Maybe we've only glanced over <laughs> Welcome back. As always, I'm your host, Joe, and we are going over the rest of the units in Gibbering Hordes. So we're going to go ahead and start um, all the way up at the top with our final commander that we just sort of touched on, which is Hormitanji. Hormitanji is fairly unique in the game. He is a commander, but he is also a titan. So he's sitting on a 120mm base. Uh, he gives you 22 script instead of the normal 25. So you're paying a little bit for his abilities, and that's that's a good thing. Because um, he's pretty stacked as far as commanders go. Um, he's a speed 7 commander, defense 4, willpower 5, armor 12. Pretty huge. And then he has steam cl cloud of steam. So enemy fire teams end their activation with it 3. Suffer strength 2 hit, which cannot be cheated. Uh, but again, those can still be tactics tokened. Uh, because cheating is different than the modification flip from a tactics token because you're flipping a card anytime there's a penetration flip, uh, which is what strength 2 hit is, you can still use a tactics token if you have them. He is a tactics 2 commander. He has a melee action superheated clause, um, which is a 6 acting value versus defense, 3 inch range, strength 4, piercing, and target discards any assets that are flipped during this activation. So he is really good at taking down other commanders, taking down other titans, uh, with superheated claws, he has a scalding spurt, acne value 5 versus defense, it's range attack, a 12 inch range, strength 3, and it's an area attack. And then for his tactical action, he has bellow of command, uh, it is a acne value 6 versus 12 target number, 18 inch range, target gains 2 tokens of your choice, and they may be different. So he is very good at fueling, fueling your force. Uh, and fueling a mixed force because he is both Cult of the Burning Man and Jibbering Hordes. Uh, so he allows you to envoy in uh, Cult of the Burning Man squads uh, and assets that you might uh, wish to take. Um, either on him or adjuncts into uh, Cult of the Burning Man units that you may bring over because an adjunct is an asset. 
He is very strong in glory. Uh, he gains tactics of the Burning Man in glory whenever a fire team kills an enemy fire team. You gain a tactics token. So you can really uh, accelerate some of his power there. Uh, his superheated claws gain some triggers. Uh, one for uh, gain accuracy and one for uh, targeting his tactics token. Uh, that is on Mask and Crow, respectively. Uh, and then he gains one more in glory uh, tactical action, which is Mighty Willpower. Or one of the morale action. Mighty Willpower. Uh, six versus nine. Take another action printed on this card. This action may only be taken once for activation, and then on a margin four, Force of Will. Take an action printed on an asset. Uh, so he's ways to generate additional actions pretty easily. Um, once he gets into glory, and again in Gibbering Hordes, he's doing that by eating uh, a friendly fire team within three inches. More than likely, uh, one of your created uh, egg clutches or one of your purchased egg clutches uh, that is going to get him into the glory phase. We've touched a bit on the Alpha Crawler. Uh, the Alpha Crawler is the main titan for uh, Gibbering Hordes. They are, as I've kind of stated before, I really like them. They are a very aggressive Titan. You're going to be utilizing them to kind of bust through things that are going to be problematic for your force to overwhelm. Um, things that can take out your commanders are good uh, choices to kind of send this missile at. Uh, enemy Titans are an excellent use of the Crawler to go ahead and try and cripple those as rapidly as possible. Uh, and they are really built in my opinion, to be highly aggressive. Uh, there's some tremendous synergy with Hormatanji because he can just get so many reinforcement tokens on them. Uh, and because they're ridden by Crawlers, Fire Instinct's unit may discard reinforcement tokens to reduce damage by one per token. So, and then those tokens can also be used, um, again, in Glory Mode on Gruesome Maw, <coughs> pardon, the, uh, on a Mass Trigger, you can discard a reinforcement token to take the action again. So there's some synergy to to getting them loaded up uh, with reinforcement tokens, getting them into battle, and then using those reinforcement tokens to kind of fuel uh, the Alpha Crawler uh, into having a big round, a big turn. Uh, so I think that Hormatanji and the Titan, the Alpha Crawler, go uh, exceedingly well together. Uh, there are some ways to, to manipulate your commanders uh, to be able to give out more reinforcement tokens. There's actually a, a Malifaux-based faction asset that you can buy because you're a Malifaux-based faction uh, that allows you to hand out reinforcement tokens, uh, which isn't a bad way to go if you're planning on taking the Titan. And again, you can get them again from the synergy of eating the Egg Clutch and then uh, you can flip those two cards, and if one of them is a ram, you get to uh, to go ahead and get a reinforcement token. So this brings us to a very interesting unit in uh, Enduring Hordes, which is the are the Barbed Crawlers. Uh, barbed Crawlers are the only natural ranged unit uh, that is non-Titan in the Enduring Hordes faction, uh, in that they have a Ranged attack, native on the front front part of their card. Uh, they are a squad. They are a squad three. So you get three fire teams, 100 millimeter fire teams, 
of three models apiece. Uh, they have highly toxic. If some fire units use declares an action, you may discard a card to do the action. Piercing. They have a very weak uh, toothy maw. So they have they do have a melee attack, but it is exceedingly weak. It's only strength one. It's only acting value two versus defense two inch range. Their real money maker is the launch barbs, which are an acting value four versus defense fourteen inch range. Pretty strong range there. Uh, with a strength 2, and the target gains a pin token. The pin token is huge, because pin tokens, as we've talked about before, cancel out reinforcement tokens and slow down the enemy movement, uh, which can be very critical in, in the game, and it allows your damage to stick, particularly getting those pin tokens on the opponent. Uh, they also have a margin trigger, just native on their card, which is creeping in, Margin 2, another fire team with an 8-inch of this fire team, may move up to 3 inches toward the target, ignoring line of sight. So what's interesting here is you can move another fire team. It's not another fire team of this unit, but another fire team with an 8. So it could be of your unit. It could be your commander. It could be a titan. It could be in another squad entirely. And... One of the things that needs to be understood is that when you have something that moves one of your fire teams that's part of a squad, the remaining fire teams in your squad get to move up to half that distance, uh, particularly remain, remaining in cohesion. So you can move one three, and the rest of the guys can move up 1.5. That would be how that would break down. So... It's something to keep in mind, and that's for ev that's for the every that's for the margin of two, uh, which is going to be a little hard to get with the the acting value four, but not impossible if you put uh, put some card into it. But strength two attacks it's not going to do a ton of damage. The main thing you're getting is that pin token. Uh, gun gets a little better on the glory side. We go up to acting value five. Uh, additionally, we gain some other triggers. We gain on a three, or, acting, or a margin of three, we get fast acting toxins. The target immediately flips from glory, uh, which can be very big depending on the opponent that you're facing. And you have uh, you have uh, crows, extra toxins, draw a card uh, on a crow. Uh, so you can use these to draw some cards at range, which is never a bad thing. And again, getting to acting value five. Um, makes these very interesting as a unit. Um, the other neat thing with it, because they their speed goes up, they become space speed 7 in glory with a 14-inch gun. It means effectively on an advance they have a 21-inch range, which is nothing to sniffle at. Um, it's pretty solid range overall. I mean, the 14-inch range is the same as a machine gun. A little less strength than a machine gun, but still a lot of power, and they're handing out, ta they're handing out pin token. And pin tokens are just devastating within the game. Uh, and again, you're getting three fire teams of them in a squad, uh, which is not a bad deal. Then we have the Speckled Crawlers. Speckled Crawlers are another very interesting unit. These guys are a fatty unit. And what I mean by fatty unit is they have five uh, they have five models on a fire team. 
they are two fire teams. So you're getting ten models. Uh, each fire team has five people on them, and their reserves three. Meaning every reinforcement token you have is going to return five models. So if you take out a base of these guys and fail to remove the other base, they come meet they with one reinforcement token. They will reinforce back to a full two fire team situation, and that is something that can be a little problematic for your opponent. Uh, they are highly toxic. So again, when this uh, unit declares an action, you may discard a card to give the action piercing. They have clawing arms, base. Acne value 5 versus defense 2, strength, strength 2, plus 1 strength if this target is in base contact with terrain. So again, following the terrain matters theme of gibbering hordes with the speckled crawlers. And they have skulk in the underbrush. Uh, this unit ignores difficult terrain while moving and treats all difficult terrain as concealing terrain. So they get quite a bit better when they're in anything that is difficult terrain. Uh, because they're going to benefit from cover while within just simply difficult terrain. And they don't have the penalty of moving through it. This would include the penalty of, or the main penalty of difficult terrain, which is if you rush through it, it counts as hazardous. Not so for the Spectre Crawlers. Um, again, their speed is going to go up from 6 to 7 on the glory side. They are going to gain Endless in glory, which is when this unit activates, it gains two reinforcement tokens. And they're going to gain a very interesting ability. Uh, which is a tasty snack. Friendly units activating with three of a fire team this unit may discard a reinforcement token on the unit to gain a reinforcement token. So this is a unit that naturally can just hand out uh, reinforcement tokens just by the nature of being there. Because anytime they activate, they're going to put two reinforcement tokens on them, and then when a friendly unit activates with three of them, they can discard a reinforcement token that is on this unit that for them themselves to gain a reinforcement token. So there's some very interesting synergy that go on. And this is only a four-cost unit. So it's something you can either summon quite easily with Spawning Moon for two uh, tactics tokens, and or three total, one for Spawning Moon and two for the requirement of Spawning Moon to summon, up, some, summon something up to four. And then again, with a single action, i.e. your first action of the game, uh, or your first action with them, gaining a reinforcement token maybe getting them to glory, and then they start uh, down this path of being just an outstanding unit for your crew, or for your company, that you didn't really even have to pay for uh, in terms of their, their standardized cost. Uh, again, their their claw attack goes up to a 6 in glory, uh, strength 2 again, plus 1 strength if in base contact with terrain, and they gain wave after wave, tremendous trigger, uh, that on a margin of three, you get to take the action again. So this unit can generate quite a significant number of attacks because the wave after wave trigger can be done for each fire team once. So you can generate six attacks out of this out of this unit if your cards fall right. So. For what's a four-cost four unit, or in a lot of cases, because of spawning mood, it's going to be a free unit, um, you can do some quite nasty things fairly easily. Um, so definitely a unit to consider picking up. 
uh, as you go go along in your journey, just to, even as a summon. Uh, it's quite powerful. So we've talked a bit about Urazi. Uh, I want to talk about them a little more in depth because we kind of glossed over them. They are a high-speed unit. Uh, they have glide, so when they move, uh, they're going to ignore non-Titan fire teams of low terrain while moving. They have swift retreat, so after resolving an action that results in the destruction of one of the student's fire teams, any remaining fire teams may move up to their speed. Their speed is 10 base. And then they have diving pounce, activate 4, 2 inch reach, strength 2, or strength 4 if this action is taken as part of a rush order. So we see immediately what these guys are. They are fast-moving shock troops and screeners that essentially act as light cavalry for the gibbering hordes. So their job is going to be to rush, threat 22 inches, hit something with that strength 4 after that rush order, and then as soon as they're retaliated against, you can go ahead, maybe move to a totally different unit, engage a totally different unit um, by moving out of the way with swift retreat. And because that movement is generated and has not part of an order, that movement doesn't generate a disengaging strike. And so you can get out of bad situations, push deeper into an opponent's line, maybe then threaten an objective the following turn. There's a lot of things that Swift Retreat sets up for you and that the Arazi open up. Uh, I am a huge fan of these guys. I would, they're definitely a recommended buy um, early on simply because they open up so many tactical avenues for you in your games. Uh, they're a six-cost unit. I'm a bigger fan of bringing them in in the actual purchase phase when you're building your company than I am in summoning them, but they're not a, they're not a horrific summon. They can, they, sometimes the, the unit composition you've brought is going to require a little more speed, and this is a good unit to go ahead and, and bring in to get you that necessary speed. When they glory, they gain a ranged attack. Um, the ranged attack forces the target to lose one token of your choice, and then they gain a pin token. Uh, and that's versus speed, doesn't do any damage, just does some token manipulation, which can be very strong. Um, their diving pounce gets a bit better. Uh, they get the buzzing sound, which is when this unit receives a focused effort order, it may move up to six inches. So you get the ability to really gain some mobility even when you're, you're focusing effort uh, on their glory side. And the big thing is they go up to strength speed 11, meanings on a rush when they're gloried, they threaten 24 inches, uh, which is a significant way. Uh, they are a, a key unit when facing something like uh, King's Empire uh, that is going to have a massive range advantage on you. They're a great way to get something into their face early, do some chip damage, then buzz out of the way and repeat the process as you dive back in, um, forcing the opponent to deal with you while the bulk of your army gets into position to overtake them. Um, so I can't I can't understate how important the Urazi are to the function of the faction uh, in the two commander game and, and in a lot of strategies. Uh, I am very very fond of the unit, but I am a I'm a big believer in mobility being a pillar of other side strategy in general. We've talked a ton about Stripe Skulkers. They're going to come in your box set. Uh, Karkanoi, we've talked a ton about them. 
they are a very important they're a very important unit overall uh, and something to remember uh, in your in your force and they they do a lot of things for you and again we've talked about that in the box set armored whelks we talked very little about and I want to really go into them because they are an exceedingly interesting unit uh, they are speed 7 they are armor 10 they have independent um, so they are themselves immune to pin tokens and they do not need to remain within 8 inches of each other and then what they're offering your army for their 7 script is mobile shell uh, friendly units with at least one fire team within 3 inches cannot gain pin tokens so they're often pin, they're offering pin token immunity to a faction that actively uses reinforcement tokens to do amazing things uh, in terms of buying additional attacks adding to their strength um, reinforcing their their units as reinforcements normally do and really having a whole regeneration theme these guys help accelerate that regeneration uh, by making sure the reinforcement tokens stay on your selected units. They're a cost 7. Uh, they also come with a very nice melee attack. It's heavy claws. Active value 6 versus defense. Range 2. Strength 4, which is huge. And then immediately on their, their normal side, you're seeing uh, on a ram trigger, you take this action again. So quite a bit of value in a 7, stone, seven uh, script package. They are 120 millimeter squad, so there's two 120 millimeter fire teams of three models apiece, and then there's two of those in a squad, and they are independent. So you can cover a wide swath of your army by having them in there, and then they offer a strength four uh, melee attack. And we talked before that strength four is absolutely huge in terms of its effect on the game. Uh, and again, to kind of run down why that is. Strength 4 allows a armor 7 unit to be taken out with a 13 on a damage flip without you doing anything else. If you can just have a 13 in your hand and get a hit to land on something that is armor 7, you are guaranteed to take out a fire team with one hit with an armored wealth. Um, so that's, that's pretty impressive uh, in the overall. Then they get even better course like everything does when they go into glory they're going to get massive shell uh, which is actions targeting fire team in this unit gain no benefit from the piercing rule and cannot declare the powerful attack trigger so in glory uh, their armor 10 becomes even stronger because it eliminates piercing as a rule that you get to benefit from when targeting this unit and they cannot declare uh, powerful attacks against it so they're going to be fighting most of the basically all the time at their base strength versus you and they're going to only get to flip one card uh, unless they're spending a tactics token or cheating something out of their hand which is pretty strong uh, they're also going to get spit mucus their spit mucus is quite a bit better than the uh, the spit mucus located on the Urazi there's active value 8 versus speed in each range uh, target loses up to one token of your choice and they're going to, again, again, a pin token uh, they're going to also get some additional triggers on a margin of three. They get fast acting toxins, so you can flip something from glory. And then again, creeping in, which we remember from our barbed crawlers, margin two, another fire team with an eight of this fire team may move up to three inches toward the target. 
So some way to get the unit some additional synergy. Always good. We've talked a ton about the Egg Clutch. Uh, it is an absolutely vital unit to how the army functions. And it's one of those skill pieces that I think getting to utilize it as early as possible, using it as part of your box set training, is really going to help you. And even if you haven't picked one up or you, you haven't gotten a hold of one at a store, just get yourself a 40 millimeter base and start learning with it as soon as you can. And then when you have the funds available or they become available to you, go ahead, get yourself some egg clutches and, and kind of go from there. Because um, I think they're absolutely critical to playing the faction exceedingly well. Like they're a, they're a next level piece that is really doing quite a bit for your army, even though it's not going to be in a lot of cases on the table that long. And then kind of the transition is there are some are some points where you're going to want to hatch these, utilize that high-pitched whaling, utilize their speed to go ahead and run an objective, just be a just be a timely activation, and in those type of things. But you're going to also be utilizing them to uh, take advantage of spawning moon, and take advantage of getting reinforcement tokens on the units, using them to get glory. So they may not always stay on the table very long, but they're going to have a huge impact on how your faction plays. And then the Devouring Eel. Oh, the Devouring Eel. Such a good individual fire team. So it's a 50mm fire team, single wound model. Um, it does not have a squad designation, doesn't have a champion designation, doesn't have a commander designation. It's just a fire team. So it can take an upgrade like Toughness, that designates it just has to be a non-squad fire team. So it fulfills that requirement. Uh, it has regeneration, so during upkeep, this unit's going to gain a reinforcement token, and fire teams in this unit may discard a reinforcement token to reduce damage to zero. So reinforcement tokens are absolutely critical for the Devouring Eel, so much so that it gains one every time the upkeep phase comes around, and there's five upkeep phases in the game. It's going to have Constrict, Activate 6, Strength 3, Piercing. If this action kills one of our models, this unit gains a Reinforcement Token. And it has Consume on a Ram. If this action dealt damage, it deals 1 damage to the same target without a Penetration Flip. So the damage would go through, damage would resolve. After that damage is dealt, you're then going to do a separate instance of 1 damage with the Consume trigger. On the Glory side, Consume becomes built in. And we gain split in two. So when this unit activates, if it has three or more reinforcement tokens, you may discard three reinforcement tokens to summon a devouring eel in base contact with this model. Quite a powerful uh, little three stone investment. Um, does can do quite a bit of damage fairly easily. Um, strength 3 is nothing to sneeze at, and then Strength 3 is kind of the standard attack strength in the game. And then when you add Piercing on top of it, the Strength 3 almost acts like a Strength 4, just because of how the math works when you're always flipping two cards. The fact you're always going to ignore a Black Joker, because when you flip two cards, you get to pick, two, pick one, uh, regardless of which card is flipped. I uh, discard the other. Uh, it utilizes the reinforcement tokens that it gets. Uh, there's tremendous synergy with this and 
the Armored Whelks, because again, if this is within three of an Armored Whelk, it can never gain a pin token, and if it can never gain a pin token, the reinforcement tokens aren't going away unless you're doing actual damage to this, and it's going to decide to discard them. It can take um, an upgrade like Toughness. Uh, it's just getting a lot in that three script package. One additional script if you're taking some Toughness on it, unless you're using the free instance of Toughness that comes when somebody else purchased the toughness um, for it. I am I am a huge fan of the Devouring Eel. Um, I think it should be a purchase you consider. Uh, after you get after you get a couple of different squads, um, I'm a big I'm a big fan of it. I, I think you you're gonna have a lot of fun with that model. Uh, it's also a fun model to to look and look at and paint uh, just from the just from what I've seen and I can't wait to get that that one on my painting table particularly. Is I've got a couple good ideas for it. So I want to talk a bit about the adjunct for the faction, which is the Morphling. It's a 40 millimeter adjunct. So that what that means is the unit that you're placing it into, uh, the squad unit you're placing it into, has to have 40 millimeter models for you to replace this. So let's go down the line of what this can go into. So this can go into the Carcanoi. It can go into the Stripe Skulkers. It can go into the barbed crawlers, and that's it. So just barbed crawlers, striped skulkers, and carcanoid. Everything else is either on a 30 millimeter base or a 50 millimeter base, or it's not a squad. Um, so what does it have? It has epic, epic death scene. This is what all the adjuncts have so far, uh, which is when this unit activates, model is removed. Due to when this unit's adjunct model is removed due to damage, it counts as removing two models. So what that means is, if you if you've taken two damage, you can simply remove the adjunct, and it counts as removing two models. Uh, so morphling adjunct, once per activation, the fire team containing this unit's adjunct model may take an action listed on a friendly non-commander squad in plays unit card, in addition to any other action you can take. This action may not summon. So this is kind of an interesting thing. It, it, the Morphling Adjunct depends entirely on what else you've taken in your crew or in your company. So once per activation, you get to use somebody else's that's a non-commander that is friendly to you action that is in play. That is not a summon. So there's some interesting synergy with this, particularly when you get into taking units from Cult of the Burning Man, because they're going to be friendly to you, because it doesn't say specifically Gibbering Hordes. So whatever is friendly to you, you can take the action that is on that card, or an action that is on the card that is not a summon, as long as it's from a non-commander unit. So for you could take, you could, if you brought in um, some Cult of the Burning Man. You could have ECB Gunshot being used, their, their Mark IV revolver. Uh, you could have them casting an Arcane Bolt um, from the, the Cultist. You could have them just in their own faction using that claw from the Armored Welk. Uh, you could have them spitting Barb Crawler. You could have them uh, taking a swing from one of the Titans 
you know, with their massive limb. Uh, so the morphling provides quite a bit of flexibility depending on how you compose your force. You can also use them to uh, take the action from the, uh, from the worm. So there's a lot of versatility with this particular adjunct um, that you don't see with the other adjuncts because it can take virtually any action from a non-commander squad. Or non yeah, from a friendly non I'm sorry, friendly non-commander squad play. So you can't take the uh, sorry, you can't take the Titan action because it has to be a squad. But you could take the action of the armored whelk, you could take the action of the Karkanoi. Uh, as long as it's the non-summon one, you could take the action of the striped skulkers. You know, you could take an action of you know the barbed the barbed crawlers. A lot of different things you can do depending on the composition of uh, this particular crew. So it's it's definitely something to think about while you're playing the game. And then uh, that's basically the unit. So one of the things I also want to just kind of touch on for a moment is when you're bringing these in, if you're if you're going to play with hordes as the envoy. So they have allies in, and with that, if the company contains a German hordes commander, it may hire German hordes squads. The company may hire German hordes assets so long as they are attached to Jibbering Horde's units. The total number of scripts spent on these hires cannot exceed 50% of your total script. So this is for the Cult of the Burning Man player that is going to be playing Hormatanji and wants to bring in some Jibbering Horde's units. Uh, so they're subject to the Allies rule. That's, that's the same rule that's available for anyone that is taking an Envoy. Uh, and the Envoy rule will, will have that on their card and, and explain it to you as, as to what you can take. Um, there's Survival of the Horde is an ability you get as part of the Envoy. So when a friendly German Hornet unit activates, it may devour or kill a friendly fire team within three inches, which may include one of its own fire teams. If it does so, the activating unit may flip to glory. And then they also have Endless Horde. So at the start of your turn, you may discard a tactics token to summon one friendly non-commander German Horde squad that was killed on the previous turn. This squad is summoned in your deployment zone and in base contact, in base contact with any table edge with, with no assets. May immediately move up to its twice its speed. You may summon any number of killed squads in this way, and that is how that works. If you were going to be playing Cult of the Burning Man or some other faction and envoying in uh, the Gibbering Hordes, of course, currently the only faction that can envoy in is Cult of the Burning Man because there's only one um, dual commander that is available that contains gibbering hordes as part of its duel, and that is Hormatanji. So I hope this review has been helpful to you. Uh, I am a big, big fan of gibbering hordes. I think it does the hordes faction correctly. It allows you to play big monsters if you want to, supported by little guys. It allows you to play an overwhelming swarm of little guys, it allows you to play a mixed a mixed arms force where you have a, one or two big guys and then a whole bunch of swarm behind them. It really lets you play the way you want to play, but gives you that overwhelming numbers feeling without 
giving you an overwhelming number of models that you have to own. Um, so it's really a faction that I think rewards thought, uh, rewards somebody that wants to play a highly positional game, somebody that understands uh, how to utilize their aggressive pieces, protect their protect their other units. Uh, it's going to highly reward uh, the tide pool placement, uh, a good understanding of how those rules are going to interact with your force. It's an understanding of survival of the fittest and really getting a good understanding of how you can exploit endless numbers and taking a deep look at your stratagems. Uh, the stratagems are something that are going to be critical to Jibbering Horde's success. It's really any faction is going to get quite a bit out of their stratagems, but I think Jibbering Hordes gets uh, a significant bump because you're doing things like with Heavy Rain of making an additional tide pool uh, that's not touching any enemy fire teams. It doesn't mean you can't make it touch your own. It just has the caveat of enemy fire teams. You've got Feeding Frenzy, which is going to give every unit in your army, every friendly unit is going to gain an inspired token. Then they may immediately reinforce. So if they have reinforcement tokens on them already, you can immediately discard one and reinforce them by utilizing the Feeding Frenzy rule. And they're gaining Inspired Token prior to their activation. And that's for every unit in your army. That's an incredibly powerful ability. You have Onslaught, so you're going to target a non a friendly non-commander squad immediately receives the rush order. This, unit does, this does not count as this unit's activation for the turn. So again, high mobility. You're getting a free rush out of a squad. And it doesn't count as their activation because you can do this. Like The, the interesting thing with the way Onslaught works and the way that the, the stratagem patterning works is the first thing you do when it's your turn to get an activation so for anything else, you have a window to play a strategy. So you can play this onslaught stratagem and rush something like your Karkanoi into an opposing unit that's in range. They rush forward. They're going to get a hit. Their hit's on it. Then they can immediately activate and do their actual activation, hitting that unit again. Or if they wipe them out, they could charge into something else. So again, Onslaught is an incredibly interesting tactical tactical choice to, to purchase. Um, and again, these these all come at a cost. It's a cost for that's a cost for uh, strategy we're talking about in terms of Onslaught. But it's such a powerful ability when you're basically giving your squad a free rush, then you can have them activate if they haven't already activated. Because the rush that you just gave them doesn't count as them activating. That is power, my friends. Then we have Thunderstorm. Uh, so you may play this stratagem. When you play this stratagem, you take the following action, targeting the enemy fire team anywhere on the board. Lightning Strike. It is a 7 with a mask versus speed. So you have a mask built in. So it's strength 2 or strength 4 if the target is in base contact with the Tide Pool. So again, Tide Pool synergy with this particular stratagem. It has bzzzt, uh, which is to move the target up to three inches in any direction. And instead of removing the stratagem for the game, you may discard a card. If you do, place the stratagem back in your hand. It cannot be played again this turn. So 
With Lightning Strike, as long as you've purchased it and you have cards to discard when you're utilizing it, you can keep this card. You can play this this card every single round. So you can if there's five rounds of the game, so you buy it turn one, and you discard a card every turn when you use it. You can use it five times. That's pretty good. Five times for a, a limitless range single attack ability. That's not bad, depending on what you're what you're taking on and, and their position, uh, particularly if they're a slower enemy because their speed. You've got a, a active value seven versus speed, and again against my other faction Abyssinia, that's pretty strong. Uh, then we have Squall, which is when you play the stratagem, all enemy units gain a pin token. So you can just blanketly give every unit on the opposing side a pin token. So you can wipe out their reinforcement that they've likely spent actions to gain just with a stratagem. Pretty strong. Then also limits their movement. Um, if you're playing a heavy pin token strategy, you can sometimes break their back with just one additional pin token, and this just gives it to them. There's no resist. There's nothing they can do about it. They're just going to be taking pin tokens. Uh, and then we've talked about before, again, Spawning Moon. Uh, so when you play the strategy, you choose a friendly egg clutch, fire team in play, discard any number of tactics tokens. You may summon a friendly Jibbering Horde's non-commander squad with one fire team into base contact with the egg clutch. The summon squad's cost cannot exceed two times the number of discarded tactics tokens. Once complete, you kill the chosen egg clutch. And that just costs you one. There's Ultra the Deep. And you play the strategy and you choose a friendly squad. That it gains a number of tactics tokens equal to half of the remaining number of models in the squad, rounded up, and then you kill every fire team in that squad. So Alter the Deep is a way to kind of refill your tactics tokens fairly cheaply. So if you have a unit that is about to be wiped out, still has a good number of models remaining. You can go ahead and play this, sack that unit, but gain those tactics tokens. Uh, gives you quite a quite a bump for a two cost investment. Uh, I think there's I think there's definitely some play within this and something that people should be looking at uh, to use, especially as, as part of a catch up or just as part of their their overall design. For their list. Uh, so then we have cut them off. When you play the stratagem for the remainder of this activation phase, friendly units can discard a reinforcement token off enemy units for survival of the fittest instead of killing a friendly fire team. So cut them off is interesting. Cut them off kind of requires a very specific set of circumstances to exist to be very useful. Uh, the enemy units have to have reinforcement tokens on them. You have to have units that are going to get in range of them within three inches to go to glory. And you're not going to be using that to kill an enemy. You're not going to be using it to kill your own fire teams. So this can be very helpful in pitched assault where killing your own fire team is giving your opponent um, some points because of the way the, the stratagem 
is laid out. It's when that model, when that fire team is killed, they get points. It's not if they kill a fire team. Um, so with that wording, this can be helpful because you can get to glory without killing off and, and feeding your opponent points. So something to definitely keep in mind. So I hope you've enjoyed this review of the Gibbering Hordes. I've enjoyed making it. We're going to do an in-depth review uh, like this for every other faction. Uh, again, you talk to us on social media. Uh, and I also would want to make sure that you're aware that we have Captain Con coming up February 8th through the 10th in beautiful Warwick, Rhode Island. And it is a, it is a great time. Um, you can come there, play the other side with me. I'll actually be hosting the event. Uh, we're going to be running two tournaments in the evening, so want to make sure that you're you're aware that they're going to be evening time events on Friday night and Saturday night. And if there's enough interest, if I get some buzz and people are wanting to have an, an earlier event on one of those days, I'm more than happy to run it. I'll be there on the Thursday night, so it's normally when I arrive because I'm I'm actually out in Michigan and then I I fly over uh, every year to Rhode Island for this uh, to see my East Coast friends. And, and this year I'll be going to be hosting. Uh, and running the event for the other side. So we're very excited about that. It's going to be a one-commander tournament. We're going to use uh, basically a pool requirement. For those that are unaware, uh, instead of letting you just pick whatever you want to bring, you're going to set up a 40-script uh, list and give that to me. And then you're going to make a one-commander list out of what you've given me for each of the rounds. Uh, and so we're going to go with, with that as the model. That way people can still get the, the list building without having to bring every single thing that they own um, to play. In some cases, people are going to be bringing a significant portion of what they own to do this. But it just can, they can have a pool of up to 40 script uh, to do it with. You could still come uh, if they have uh, the retail product out. You could come buy it up, play it. We're going to have a, a painting competition for it. Um, so I'm very excited for that. We're going to have some trophies. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, we're probably going to get some scotch. I think that is that is going to be something that happens. Uh, so I look forward to seeing you there again in Rhode Island February 8th through the 10th. Please, please, please sign up as early as you can. Uh, the earlier we get it, uh, the more tables I can get, uh, the more prepared we can be, uh, and really have a great uh, experience for you guys as we play uh, for the first time in North America. To my knowledge, uh, this will be the first North American tournament for the other side, and I'm fairly certain that uh, over in the pond at the exact same time, uh, David is going to be running uh, an event in the UK for it. So I think the, the actual first other side event uh, is are going to be happening concurrently. So that's kind of exciting as well. So remember, hit me up at uh, cheatedfatesjoe at gmail.com uh, for email. Uh, you can talk to us on the Discord. Uh, there's a link to that on the Facebook page, which is The Other Place, uh, which is, again, our, our big fan site for The Other Side in general, not just a fan site for Coordinated Strike. There is no fan site for Coordinated Strike, particularly other than the website itself. Uh, and you can always reach me on Twitter, at Joe. And remember, if you have a tactics token, you can make a Coordinated Strike. I gotta be a man!